Before we get started, wanted to remind you that the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. For coverage of the top NFL offseason storylines, tune into the Adam Schefter podcast. Recent guests include Bucks GM Jason Light, Chris Collinsworth from NBC and PFF, and new Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. You can find the Adam Schefter podcast wherever you get your pods. back to the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts thinks the franchise tag has his phone number on. It's actually my phone number because Lenny doesn't have a phone, but that's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. Uh, if you were listening from the beginning, you heard about how Adam Schefter gets Jason Light, Chris Collinsworth, Brandon Staley. Those guests pale in comparison to my guest. First time guest. I just found out longtime listener, so I'm thrilled. I'd say friend of the pod, Ben Solak. Ben, welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thank. I'm very happy to be on. I've loved the show for a while. This is the second time this season I've like semi-followed Schefter. Like you obviously you intro with Schefter there. On the PFF NFL show, they had in consecutive weeks Amy Trask, Schefter, and then me. And I just didn't know what to do. I was just like, hi, like it's my opinion. Like, I don't know why I'm here. You start getting used to that, like, um, that was an experience for me when I started working at ESPN, especially like, I don't know, um, as a fan, like I, I've joked about Matt Hasselbeck and the first how I used to stare at him in a way that was probably uncomfortable for everyone in the ESPN war room. And then he came on my podcast and it was after that that I retired the Lenny voice because I was so deeply ashamed of having to do it in front of one of my it's childhood Hasselbeck's fault? Um, you know, yeah, it really, it, it's really my fault honestly, for not having the courage and conviction and pride uh, to stick to my to my guns and not silence Lenny. But for those who don't know Ben, by the way, I, I, I always do this. I just go right into the conversation and skip the introduction. Uh, he writes about college football for the Draft Network. He's also an editor at Bleeding Green, which is an Eagles blog. Great blog, by the way. Um, and those two things are very relevant to what we're discussing today, which uh, is something you and I have talked a long time about doing a podcast about Carson Wentz and the many waves of extending outward from a potential Carson Wentz trade. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about J.J. Watt. But we're also, I, I'm, I'm saying it right now, draft season officially begins at this very moment. Imagine me bringing a bell or something. Um, because like I said earlier, you are a writer at the Draft Network. You do cover the draft very well. And so we're not diving fully in, but we're dipping our toe today because in the second half of the podcast, I'm going to talk to you about I'm going to call them the big five quarterbacks, the quarterbacks who most people expect to go in the first round. Um, and I'm beginning to get, I was tweeting a little bit about watching Zach Wilson and Trey Lance this weekend. I I think this is from a quarterbacking perspective, perhaps the most intriguing draft of the last few years. I don't know how you feel. Yeah. It, it has the chance to set slash break two records and they're both completely opposite records, which is to say, uh, there might be five quarterbacks to go in the first round, as you said, the mm -hmm. big five, which will be the first time or be the, only the second time it's ever happened. Have it in 2018, the Baker class, and then it'll happen this year. And it may be the first class to have fewer than 10 quarterbacks drafted overall, which I don't think has happened in years. But we're looking at such a wildly top heavy class with like zero depth. It will, will either thing happen. It's it's unlikely, but it's it's a very weird class. And with the amount of quarterback movement 
that's probably going to happen free agency wise and trade wise, this could go 10,000 different ways. So it is a lot of fun yes. to prep for because you don't know who's going to like who, where the rankings quarterbacks two to four are all messy. It's, it's, it's good for business. Put it that way. Yes, it is. Two to four is the real like crazy town range to me because one, we all know Trevor Lawrence is going first. And I think Mac Jones is going fifth, although we're, we're going to get to that. I could see an interesting Mac Jones, Trey Lance. I don't believe that, but I'm just saying to you, um, but Wilson, Lance, Fields, Fields, Wilson, Lance, Wilson, Lance. I mean, it's just like that. that is going to be fascinating. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Carson Wentz. But first, I want to talk to you about J.J. Watt, which if we were recording this podcast a couple of years ago and I told you J.J. Watt was a free agent, um, this it would be like an earthquake shattering. J.J. Watt, Houston letting J.J. Watt walk? What? But... When it happened, it kind of was more of a whimper than a bang. It was, if I think the only thing that maybe took people by surprise, Ben, is that he wasn't traded. Um, I'm not really sure what kind of value they would have got. I mean, they did the whole, you know, JJ has been part of the franchise, wanted to ride by him, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, given his contract, it would have been $17 million if I have that right off the top of my head. I, it didn't, yeah, 17.5 million guaranteed. It wasn't super surprising. But, um, it then kicked off debate over, like, how good is J.J. Watt now? So let's start there. How good do you think, because we're going to talk about the teams that could potentially sign him, what he's got left in the tank. What do you think he has left in the tank? Yeah, that's that's the critical point, because when you talk about teams, and you don't want to get too far ahead, but there are teams who would need Watt as, like, an eight-plus sack-per-year edge rusher, and there's teams in the market who would like Watt as, like, a sometimes interior rusher, run defender, you know, big three, four defensive end sort of a role, which he can do literally everything and has for many, many years in Houston. And so where you estimate his ability not only defines fit and what teams will be after him, but price tag. To me, right, Watt had had five sacks this past season mm-hmm. and was yes. double teamed over 30% of the time. Uh, which most, was, most of any edge rusher in the NFL. And it's it's very fun to to trace the the dissolution, right? The complete discombobulation of the Houston Texans organization. Why is he... Uh, double team so often well uh, Jadavian Clowney left for uh, a couple third round picks and Jacob Martin right so it's like you've got actually yeah and he's been fine but you you lose that guy and all of a sudden Watt who's getting older really experiences a steep drop off in efficacy because you no longer have his running mate and defenses are able to give him so much more attention Uh, you watch Watt and, and and the power rushes remain some of the unbelievable athleticism to finish pressures and make them into sacks finishing inside of the pocket tagging these increasingly mobile quarterbacks some of that is certainly gone and then injuries will have attrition there so you don't see the you know Aaron Donald level sack and TFL numbers right I, I shared JJ Watts 2012 through 2015 numbers after he was cut because it's easy for us to forget he was out producing Donald for like a significant stretch of time and, and the implications of a healthy Watt could have really changed the conversation around Donald uh, over the last decade. But he, he, he doesn't have that athleticism anymore. That that being said, the power, the size, and the technical prowess, right? The, the awareness and the arsenal of rush moves, they all remain. So if we're talking about Buffalo, if we're talking about Cleveland and the, and the ability to rush opposite a functional second rusher, it, he's an eight-sack-per-year guy at minimum. Wouldn't be surprised if it's double-digit sacks. And that player is, you know, eight figures per year. That's a player you aggressively go after if you're in a Super Bowl window. So I think it's very hard to pick a destination without knowing what matters to J.J. Watt, right? Like, if it's is it maximizing his earnings? Well, first of all, the, the whole thing is screwy right now with every team and every free agent because nobody really knows how much money they have. Um, exactly. 
And J.J. Watt's not making $17 million. If he is, that's crazy to whatever team. But, um, you know, we don't know if the difference between, say, I don't know, $8 million and $15 million, whatever matters to him. I, I kind of think it doesn't probably. Like, the dude's made a lot of money. Um, I think he would like to play for a Super Bowl team based on all accounts. And so then mm-hmm. you start looking at the teams you mentioned. Your Cleveland's, wow, well, Cleveland Super Bowl team, crazy. Yeah. Uh, your Buffaloes, your Green Bays, your Tampas, your Chiefs, like the teams that your Seattle's, the teams that are contenders. Um, and and then you start looking at fit. Like one t- we we were talking about this on live, and there was a I think John Robinson in Tennessee was asked about him. And setting aside the question of whether you think Tennessee's a, a, a playoff team and or can contend, if I'm JJ Watt, I don't want to go to Tennessee. Like, I don't want to be the savior of that pass route. I know they have Jeffrey Simmons, but still, like, mm-hmm. I want to play next to Miles Garrett or Zadarius Smith, who, by the way, Zadarius Smith was the second most double teamed edge defender at Red Right. Red. And Miles Garrett was fourth. So um, <laughs> they would probably like to play with him. Like, I, I think Sam Monson, who I believe is a mutual friend of ours, had a good piece about moving JJ inside and how he's actually been better rushing from the inside, which is kind of what he did at the beginning of his career in Houston. Um, and I think like if I'm him, I'm very strategic. Where can I do, where can I be used situationally, potentially even like a Michael Bennett type role on pass rush downs? Where can I be, where can I play where we're actually going to make a playoff run? And where can I take some breaks, man? Like I don't want to play every day. So there's a lot of teams. I, I like Cleveland, Buffalo and Green Bay. Those are to me are the best top three. Um, Kansas city cap wise, it seems like it'd be hard, but um, that that's a lot to focus on the defensive line where they've already in, you know allocated a lot of resources, but I I don't see like a Tennessee a team that needs him desperately being a good destination for him. I agree. Yeah, I think number one, please God, not Tampa. I get it, but please no. Uh, if they mm. lose Dominican Sue and then just bring back JJ Watt and are somehow able to retain Shaq Barrett, I won't want to talk to anybody for a while. Uh, so hopefully not Tampa. Buffalo to me is my favorite. Uh, I think right the 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 question yeah. about what does JJ Watt want is so fascinating because you look at Green Bay, Cleveland and Buffalo and beyond scheme fit, beyond money, there's really good cultures in all three spots. Uh, specifically I think w- what you have in Buffalo, McDermott, Leslie Frazier, uh and even in Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski, who's such a good culture guy. Uh you know, when Watt was released, you know, uh, Cal McNair gave the statement where he was like, not all decisions are easy to understand or explain, but uh, we, we thought this was best for us and this is good for the fans, which, you know, is kind of just owner speak for like, JJ doesn't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's fairly clear with how he's acted the last year inappropriately. So if a good supporting Super Bowl culture is important to him, and I, I would imagine that it is given the way he, he saw Houston kind of fall to pieces. Buffalo is such a good landing spot. They've brought in multiple, you know, quote unquote, big ends. They, they signed Mario Addison in free agency, who McDermott knew from Carolina. He's like a, a nine sack per year guy. Lock it in. Hasn't been under that in four years. He comes to Buffalo, five sacks. You know, you, yeah. you sign AJ Epin, or you draft AJ Epinesa, excuse me, in the second round out of Iowa, who was such a good rusher in his redshirt freshman year. And then he had a little bit of a down year and he can't hold down that starting job. No, nope. uh, you have Ed Oliver, but you have no real good interior rushers besides oh, him. Like this yeah. to me. This is the they, spot, and, and they love him up there. Buffalo they, fans, yeah, that's just a little on the nose. <laughs> but you know, they need him. They need him. Like um, Jerry Jerry Hughes is not getting any younger. And while mm-hmm. Buffalo, I think they did have a surprisingly uh, effective or efficient pass rush. Um, 
when I look at these AFC playoff teams and I'm like, okay, who can, you know, contend with Kansas City? And I, and I think, well, where might they regress? That stands out to me like a sore thumb in Buffalo. Pass rush, pass rush, pass rush is going to be a problem for them. Um, I think the offense will keep rolling, but that, that would be a concern I have there. And, you know, like we saw with all these AFC teams, Ben, like, Ultimately, it was a lack of pass rush that ended up being a problem for all of them in the playoffs. Whether it's Cleveland losing Olivier Vernon, I think that was a really sneaky, underrated injury. And Miles Garrett kind of got washed out because um, Kansas City could just take him out of plays. Or even Kansas City in the Super Bowl having to blitz so much because Frank R- Clark doesn't give them a reliable pass rush. Like All of these contenders could use J.J. Watt. So to me, it's just a matter of what does J.J. Watt want? Um, All right, let's put a pin in that and get to what the people want. People have been waiting for you to opine on this. (laughs) People are me. Um, It is Tuesday, February 16th. At the moment, Carson Wentz, I don't know, what is his middle name? Do you know off the top of your head? Lord knows. No, but it's going to be something North Dakota and it's going to bother me. I'm actually surprised you don't know what his middle name is as like an Eagle super fan. Carson James James. Yeah, there you go. Jay Wentz. That's unobjectionable. Um, okay. Carson Wentz is still a Philadelphia Eagle. At the Super Bowl, there was a ton of heat on a trade. I was like, please, Howie, wait until next week when we're desperate for content. Then the heat kind of fizzled out. Um, you know, we can hypothesize as to why that might be. So there's so many places to go with this. I want to start first from just a Carson Wentz perspective because you have watched every professional snap of this man's career closely. You have sadly yes. soared with him to the highs of 2017. You have sunk with him to the lows of 2020. You have watched carefully in 2018 and 2019, which is something in between. So let me ask you this. Which quarterback do you think is the real Carson Wentz of Ooh. all of the years I just mentioned? And tell me why. Oh, man, it's a difficult one. Uh, 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... 2017, awesome, but probably not real. And we know it's probably not real because he was ludicrously good on third downs and yeah. and, and red zones. This has been well covered. He also was just so oriented on the explosive play. He was such a good downfield passer. He was very good creating with his legs. He would escape pressures and sacks where you just like had to watch it 10 times to understand it. The, the, the ACL injury robs him of that 2018 2019 and 2020 to varying degrees of health and weight you know he's kind of trying to figure out his ideal play weight uh he has not looked nearly as quick or explosive especially when escaping the pocket uh 2018 is also very difficult to uh notch as a re- as real as though carson wentz because we learned he was playing with back fractures for like weeks you know he he that was the year if you remember in training camp they come out in in july and carson wentz taking first team reps <laughs> seven eight months after an acl injury like this is the bomb he's the best he's so healthy and then after two days they just pulled him and they wouldn't tell us they were like no he's fine he's great we're just pulling him because we're pulling him and all of us were like yeah uh you he had an acl injury did he have a setback yes or no and they're like no and then he plays during the regular season and he clearly is never 100 uh 2019 is where he looked spryer and you could even say spryest if that's hmm. really a word since yeah, 2017 right yeah, yeah so that's where he, i think he looked uh the closest to the player we saw before the acl injury obviously recovered from the back injuries he was a little bit thinner a little bit lighter uh and, and the offense was still functioning largely as it was supposed to function under doug peterson in terms of being confident in making half field reads in terms of being confident at the line of scrimmage changing your plays that was when 
it really felt like what was holding Wentz back was the supporting cast and that he would have looked better and performed mm. better if there were better wide receivers. In in Mike Sando's quarterback rankings for, for ESPN and The Athletic over that time, Wentz went from the ninth-ranked quarterback to the 10th-ranked quarterback to the 11th-ranked quarterback over those three seasons, even as statistically he started to wear down. And I think that was a testament to the fact that the film bore out that he was still doing some quality things in terms of ball placement, in terms of decision-making, risk management, and pocket escaping, that he he wasn't being reflected in his raw stats because of the, the personnel around him. That being said, 2019, it, it began to tell us the story of 2020 because the later you got into that year, I, you remember the game they played against the Seahawks late in that season. He was just missing slants, missing yes. drags, missing swings. And you're like, man, he really cannot get on the same page with these wide receivers. Well, it turns out after a whole offseason of that and the same issues persisting into 2020, he just gave up on the offense. He had no interest in playing within structure. He had no interest in throwing to half of the people the Eagles were putting out there on the field. Yeah. Didn't trust anybody, didn't trust himself, and it all blew up. So 2019 is where you're... I was about to say 2019 is where you're trying to get him back to, but clearly given what's been discussed in the trade market, people are trying to get him back to 2017, which is outlandish. 2019, <laughs> I think, is reasonable in terms no, of... No, my as a baseline. Back. Yeah, I, I think... Okay, you said a lot of very important things there, especially, I think, by the way commenting on how his injuries over the course of career have affected his play because so much of what he did in 2017 was not only based on these unsustainable numbers on third down in the red zone, which Bill Barnwell was super early on this, by the way, with Wentz, where he was like, eh, I'm not sure if any of this can keep going. And they're all like, nah, 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 nah. It's okay if you're like, you know, 90% on third down and not on anything else. Um, but also the fact that so much of it was also predicated on his incredible athleticism. Yeah. And realizing how key that was to his game. So then you flash forward to this massive meltdown in 2020. And a lot of us have been, I don't want to say perplexed, but it seems like nobody can really agree. Nobody outside Eagles world, <laughs> the MSM, we can't agree on how much to blame any one party because sure. like the offensive line was shredded to pieces um, it's, it's the offensive design also, you know, is highly deserving of criticism. Uh, the playmakers or lack thereof coaching, but then you also see Carson Wentz like bounce passing screens and yeah. just refusing to throw the football away. Like, I think I said on this podcast, like a gun could go off in the field and he would still try to make the play happen. Like, it's not Okay. Um, and so doing, and so then it becomes this question, okay, like, was this a reaction to everything falling apart around him or did he like amplify that? And is it also the fact that he wasn't able to overcome it in the way that like a Deshaun Watson, I mean, you know, he's had better weapons, but I'm just saying like other quarterbacks have overcome bad scheme and situation, offensive line and whatever. Is that. I don't like I don't want to say does it mean he's never going to be great but like is that a serious concern for a team that yeah. views him as a rehabilitation project um I think it is like I think he can, I don't think he will be as bad as he was in 2020 wherever he goes but I also think even getting back to 2019 I question whether that's possible based on how he was how we've seen him respond to adversity yeah, you make a critical point, which is that, you know, whether or not we should have gotten here and regardless of how we arrived, we're here. 
this occurred. You know what I mean? Like uh, in the wake of Doug Peterson's firing, a lot of, you know, sources got very bold in sharing their opinions. And you got a lot of narratives about how Wentz reacted to coaching and how Peterson tried to change the offense. And, And some of that stuff is difficult to fully trust because it comes out after Peterson is fired. And you're like, well, if this had legs, beforehand maybe it it would have occurred but it it takes a village to make a quarterback get this bad you know what (laughs) i mean like when when you ask that question uh was this a result of what was around him or did he contribute to it it's very chicken and egg because as we know ryan Tannehill became the most accurate quarterback in the world once he went to tennessee you know what i mean like that situation is is inexorably tied to quarterback and so when Wentz got this bad, when 2020 was, he was statistically the worst quarterback in the NFL. It was a team effort. There were failures at personnel where the Eagles just do not have good wide receivers. There was failures at coaching staff where the Eagles could not solve the problem of, of, of hmm. simplifying this offense or giving him easier reads or making him trust his teammates. There were problems of, of luck, of simple fortune, where you put out 14 different offensive line groupings in 16 weeks, and there were issues with Carson Wentz. The Deshaun Watson question is, is an important one, and if you go and, and you look at this entire situation and say, all right, Wentz definitely did at least something wrong. What is it? It probably is something that happens between the months of January and August. It's it's what he does outside of the Eagles facility because Wentz entered the league in 2016 with mechanical problems. He was overstriding. He had a long release. Uh, he would step into the bucket. It's 2020. It's his fifth year as a pro. He's got mechanical problems. He's overstriding. He's got a long release. Mm. He's stepping into the bucket. These create accuracy problems in the short areas. Wentz does not throw drag routes. Uh, He threw eight total shallow crosses this season. They just took it out of the playbook because he refuses to throw them. And these are great routes for your offense. You have a a receiver like Jalen Rager. It's the ideal route for him. Two yards down the field. Boop. This is yours. Go get me 20 yards. Go break a tackle. Go run. Wentz refuses to throw that route. And the reason is because he doesn't throw it accurately. Miles Sanders was, was, was billed as a dual threat running back coming out of Penn State. He was one of the worst targets, wide receiver, running back, or tight end this year in quarterback rating when targeted. Now, he struggled with drops. But Wentz also struggles to hit him on swings and flats. So the, the, the short area accuracy directly falls on the quarterback who does not mechanically work the pocket and work his throwing motion necessary to be accurate on those throws. Now, because he was in Philadelphia for so long, because he didn't make these changes, and because the coaching staff could not solve the problem for him, and he butted heads with uh, John Filippo, who is a bad cop style of a, he- of a quarterback's coach, because Press Taylor, who was his new quarterback's coach, was just his buddy and kind of really couldn't push him, and because Doug Peterson tried to simplify the offense and Carson Wentz took it a- as an insult, and because they tried to build a Peyton Manning-like check-with-me system at the line that had Wentz believing he could just create plays out of nothingness with his, you know, mental acuity with his pre-snap recognition, because all of these problems happened with the coaching staff. We are here now. Wentz has not trusted NFL coaching for a while. And so when you put him in Indianapolis, you say, Oh, he knows Frank Reich. It's going to be great. Maybe, but there's going to come a point week five where he has a bad game. And Reich says, Hey, maybe you should take your check downs earlier. And what happens then? Cause we don't know it, he's going to respond well to that moment. And, and even if, you know, I've got big friends with Frank Reich. Oh, I love Matt Nagy and John Filippo. Eventually you disagree with your coaches. And if he can't yes. deal with that, it's always going to end the same way. You left out the most, like you named all of the many, many, many culprits in the killing of Carson Wentz's 2020 season. And it, it's like one of those uh, crime movies where it turns out, every, there, when I'm, there's an example. What is that movie where it's like everyone did it? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's like, Absolutely um, not. Okay. 
It's the one on the train. Murder on the Orient Express. Agatha Christie. Yes. There you go. Sorry. Spoiler alert. Thanks, Dan Stanzik. Um, so you left out a really obvious thing. I mean, I know you're Neagle's expert, but um, the camo sleeve, man. Before <laughs> and after the camo sleeve. The camo sleeve was really the end of days for Wentz. Yeah. Um, okay. Our friend uh, Justice Mosqueda has a theory that it's the accessories that weigh Wentz down when he's trying to escape the pocket. It's he's just, just wearing too much. The camo sleeve is so upsetting because every time you see it, you think he's got tattoos. It's really confusing. It's just so ugly. But um, where do you think he get, got that like uh, REI? Cabela's, is that how you say Cabela's? It, it, he usually wears it for the uh, the service month, right? Like that's oh. his like Okay, well now I'm yeah, a jerk. Yeah. Wow, now well, I'm a I'm bad just, person. Just, I'm the daughter of it. a veteran, I take no blame for not knowing that. Um, okay, this is where we are. Whoever is fully to blame, the fact that we're here, the fact that this Wentz got to this point is as much of an indictment on him as anyone. So then the question is, okay, one, should the is it 100% over with the Eagles and what are their options? And then two, what can he bring potentially to a team like Indy or Chicago? Which really are the only two. I, I feel like Indy and Chicago are only two teams. San Francisco was in the mix for a while. I think they're not desperate enough. Um, I think Indy and Chicago, like those teams really need someone. And mm-hmm. I don't see it working out for either. Because with Chicago, we'll get to Philly's perspective, but from Chicago... Yeah, sure. It's probably an upgrade. But that's we just talked about how badly Carson Wentz responded to adversity. Do you think Chicago is right. like a better spot? I mean, it maybe it's better, but like it's not a good spot. Okay. Then meanwhile, Indy, opposite situation. Great landing spot for Wentz. If I'm Carson Wentz, I am getting a Colts tattoo on my forehead and being like, <laughs> send me there, folks. However, from Indy's perspective, uh, unless you can, let's say you get that 2019, 18 Wentz. Is that an upgrade over Phillip rivers? Like you're just coming off the season where you're like, oh, okay, we just were a quarterback away, whatever we, you know, we can get there. First of all, Philip rivers actually played really well. Right. In the team, so furious with me yeah, because I suggested that Matt Stafford wouldn't really be that much of an upgrade over car over Philip rivers. And I, for a day, they were like, what are you talking about? I was like, did we watch Philip last year? Let me, let me ask you this. Let me phrase it this way. If you're indie, would you rather have Wentz, Derek Carr, Sam Darnold, or trade your next 10 drafts away for Deshaun Watson? <laughs> yeah, I uh, uh, the Wentz-Darnold conversation is very interesting because that's, it's... That's close. That's yeah, close it, right. It, it, it is, and especially if Darnold's not a multiple first round or in the Colts case, multiple second round trade. The answer is Derek Carr, which yes. there's warranted fear because Carr got no, really it's good. To- it's totally Derek Carr. Okay. Well, I'm worried about how much of Derek Carr is just John Gruden being quite good at his job, but Frank Reich's quite good at his job. And, the and Colts nicer. Have, like, Derek really would be probably be like, oh, this is great. Right. My coach doesn't hate me. <laughs> but that right. openly but- loathe me. The, the Colts Bears thing, you know, there was a report yesterday that uh, the Bears have the best offer on the table, but Wentz would dig his heels in if they tried to trade him to the Bears and he would demand the Colts, which is nuts because Wentz out here making demands is like oh, crazy. What a guy. What a guy. It's something else. It, the I like to uh, bully Robert Mays a little bit uh, because I, I like to tell him that the only team with the worst supporting cast than the Eagles is the Bears. And that's what's funny about Carson Wentz potentially ending up there is you you know to be true that even if he never really resuscitates his career, just playing on a better team would help. Like we, you know, we, we said earlier, sure. you, you cannot separate supporting cast from quarterback completely. And so if he goes to Chicago 
it's 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 the same uphill climb in terms of the wide receivers you're throwing to and the offensive line you're playing behind. Coaching staff wise, you may have an improvement, but how much longer really is Matt Nagy for Chicago? So Chicago is a is a very tricky landing spot if you are rooting for Wentz improvement. With that said, Chris Ballard holds his picks tighter to the vest than anybody else. He is an extremely, you know, a judicious, limited trader. So he has not put a one on the table for Carson Wentz. The, the report is it's only, you know, two second round picks. Good for him. And right. And, and then you have Ryan Pace, who's just out here trying to save his job, sent two firsts for Khalil Mack, traded up for Mitchell Trubisky. Howie Roseman's never had a bigger fish on the line. And oh, so my we, gosh. When we talk about why has this market stilled, it's because in my opinion, Roseman believes that he can outsweat pace. That he, Roseman believes that he is yeah. s- stronger in his job and stronger in his position, has more job security, has more time than Ryan Pace does. And Ryan Pace can posture like he's going to go get Marcus Mariota, posture like he's going to go get Sam Donald as much as he wants. Pace knows that he needs to get a playoff win under his belt if he's going to save his job in Chicago. They're, they're, the Howells family was very clear about where Nagy and Pace are in that postseason conference. And so if you want to go for the, the biggest swing remaining on this quarterback market, with everything we've said about Wentz's struggles, the biggest swing, the, the highest ceiling remains Carson because of what he did in 2017. And so that's why you've got a big fish on the line and Roseman's going to try to wait him out. And I understand why he's doing it. I feel like, I really respect the way Chris Ballard built the Colts, but it almost feels like he built this beautiful, perfect house with hardwood floors and views and bedrooms or whatever. And he keeps getting offers and he's like, no, 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 not you, not you, not you. And at a certain point, the seller's like, yo, we got this house. Someone's got to live in this house, right? And I don't want, I'm glad that I, he, listen, good for Chris Ballard not trading a first right? Carson Wentz. God bless your soul. But he also does have to do something. This season, I feel it's, like it's whether it's trading up for fields or whatever. Or, yeah, it's what such a, waste. a shame. It's such a shame that after all this time and all of this extremely responsible GMing, a quarterback like Deshaun Watson becomes available and it's a team in your division. So there's absolutely no way it happens. I know. Like, this is what the Colts have been waiting I for. I He's got to be hoping for like a Dak, a Dak tag and trade would be really nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think Dak stays with Dallas, but to me, that's the best possible outcome for Indianapolis. Um, okay, before we get to the the prospects, it, this is all tied together, by the way. You got to start thinking about the QB prospects now because this is all, like all of these teams are thinking about those players. I do want to ask you about Philadelphia. So as an Eagles fan, what in your mind is the best possible way this plays out? And that includes keeping Carson Wentz, trading Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurt, whatever. Just like, how would you like to see this go? I think Roseman gets at least a first from Ryan Pace for Carson Wentz. That alone will be great because I'll have a great day on Twitter. I'll have a lot of fun. Trigger uh, warning for Bears fans retroactively. Yeah, I, I went to school in Chicago for four years. I got a lot of buddies who are Bears fans. All of their contacts saved. We're ready to go. They, they, got will, the draft, they, right? they will. Uh, dude, Bears Twitter, if, if that actually happens. Lord almighty. Oh, my God. It's oh, such a shame. Just, meltdown yeah and then i want trubisky to go to like indian be good it'd be amazing but anyway mm. uh we get up we get a first uh for carson wentz that the eagles do uh i would like to then see them draft a quarterback to be frank uh you don't pick six very often they obviously have styled themselves as the quarterback factory which it's hilarious that roseman called them that and then seven months later had to walk it back because they completely bungled the position Not great. Uh, but i'd like to see them be able to take one of Justin Fields or, or Zach Wilson, 
I, I appreciate everything that Jalen Hurts did over the three and a half games that he was given. Uh, coming out of Oklahoma, I was not bullish on Hurts as a long-term starter. After those three and a half games, I don't feel any worse, but I don't really feel that much better about that prospect. Uh, so I'd like to to bring in a, a quarterback who I think has a, a much better projection across his rookie deal. If you get a Fields or a Wilson, to me, you're, you're confidently getting that player. Uh, and now you have the young rookie quarterback. You're going to take a lump this year in terms of swallowing some dead cat, moving off from some guys. You absolutely have to get better at drafting if you're going to build around that young quarterback. But bring him in, and that kind of kicks off your uh, your next era of Eagles football. Well, you just set up the perfect segue to the Hello. second half of this podcast. We were going to talk about some of those young quarterbacks. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and then answer some of your questions. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Question. Question. As always, thank you guys for your lovely iTunes reviews. Uh, when the questions contained therein, I haven't been getting to them in a while. So they've been kind of like building up, which is cool. And um, I guess it's not cool for you. It's cool for me because I have questions to choose from. As a reminder, my mom, who is now a Twitter celebrity, by the way. Yeah, she them is. All. I've never it's- known more about the Premier League in my life. You follow? Oh, 100%. And she like signs off her tweets. It's awesome. She's she'll up like, to this like is... 16,000. Yeah, she'll be like, hey, like this is how this, this uh, I don't know, soccer positions forward did. And it was good. And the score is 2-0. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. I'm like, yeah, no problem. I hope that like her Twitter is really wholesome and pure. And I just want to keep the monsters away. Right. Um, because sometimes she'll ask me things she'll not understand like memes or, or she'll just kind of want to the other day we had a 20 minute conversation about how to pin a tweet but <laughs> just just please don't no toxic stuff protect her protect her um and protect protect the questions because she reads those too okay a dub we're gonna answer a few of them before getting to the prospects so this is actually it this is relevant to what we talked about a dub 8976 fans since episode one thank you what are your thoughts on the new york jets chances of landing deshaun watson via trade they seem adequately positioned to make the most enticing trade offer two first round picks in 2020 a second third round pick first round pick in 2021 i think uh, a dub means they have those picks um and then they have cap space as well am i a delusional jets fan no i don't think so i think miami and the jets to me are the obvious spots um by all accounts reportedly deshaun watson likes miami but and and also right now we're at a moment where this was mentioned on the show today like 
Houston apparently isn't taking calls yet. They believe that they can hold on to Deshaun. Um, I think at a certain point, like the staring contest has to end. And if Deshaun Watson truly is willing to hold out, which is by all accounts, what is, is the truth. Houston needs to like bite the bullet, look in the mirror, realize we are a bad football team. Let's try to maximize the return. Let's try to work with Deshaun Watson. And that conversation absolutely has to include the New York Jets. It does. I think the two big impediments for the Jets are one Watson's no trade, which he can activate if he doesn't want to go to a team. If he, yes. Uh, so and, yeah, the, yeah, right. And so it, in the event that he looks at Jets owner, Woody Johnson, who was an ambassador uh, to the UK under Donald Trump and is like, he's back too, right? He like kicked yeah. us out. He's like, I'm, yeah, he's, he's like, back. Hey, uh, I don't really want to go there. Then that you, there's no no amount of picks you can offer that solve that problem. And then two, that's going to narrow. By the way, that is going to narrow your range of teams. Yeah, <laughs> just the, I know, I know we're, we're yeah okay owners the, look it up. It's all public. It's not good. The the and that's like also Carolina's kind of been on this as well. You know they've talked about making the big trade deal and it's like all right oh. David Tepper great. Um, but the second problem is right the Jets can't play the same waiting game that Miami can if Houston doesn't want to move on Watson, the Jets are sitting there with number two. And yeah, they have Sam Darnold in the building. Maybe they could go another year with Darnold, not take a quarterback, trade that pick back, wait and see if Watson becomes available. But when you're holding number two, and, and, and exactly right. As opposed to the Dolphins, who, yes, they have number three, but you spent fifth overall on Tua Tungavailoa. You are in a better position to sit and wait if this Watson trade has to happen after a training camp holdout. So the Jets don't have the same amount of clock that Miami does. Do you think that, Watts okay so like from Watson's perspective so from the Texans perspective it's like Miami and although like it's it would be humiliating for them to eat that pig that they came to Miami but whatever just eat it so from the Texans perspective we see you know the teams and the packages or whatever from Watson's perspective like Miami it just seems like such a no-brainer because they're actually really good like they'd be really good with him and really fun and Mm -hmm. uh, I think an immediate contender um would you rather go to Carolina or New York? I think it's really close because I understand Carolina, you have weapons, but that defense is really young. Yeah, and Carolina's Not got one starter on the offensive line under contract through 2021, which that Jets re- offensive line is getting rebuilt pretty handily. Uh, weapons we can solve too. It's a really good wide receiver class, a really good wide receiver free agent got class. We can make some moves. They've yeah. got good coaches and now. I like, low-key think the Jets' defense is going to be good next year, which I don't know why I'm saying on this podcast because it's like, way too many people. No, they have like three good players. <laughs> right. I think it, it, a lot of it's like what you do in the secondary, but I I like that group. Uh, uh, it is tough. I, 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 I Yeah, Joe Brady might tip it for me, but yeah, I, I agree it's close. I mean, that Joe Brady offense, you saw what it did to Burrow, and you're Deshaun Watson. You're better than Burrow was. Like you, yeah. can, you can sling it in that in that system. I I think it's close. I do. Um Okay, next question. Molly P. Who is your all-time favorite football player? Marshawn Lynch. Uh is my all-time favorite football player. Who I I mean, there's various Seahawks I can point to throughout the years. We did um today was National Pancake Day, so got to talk about my love of Big Walt. Walter Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, who's your favorite all time? Uh, Brian Dawkins. Absolutely. You grew up in Eagles fans in the, yes. in the 2000s. It's Doc. Uh, Weapon X. He had two lockers. I, you know, I played fifth grade football and I wanted number 20 and Shane Jones wanted number 20 and we did a push up competition for it and I lost handily, which should have been the first sign for me not having a good uh, high school football career, but I decided not to take it. 
And I had to wear 43 for Troy Polamalu instead. It was very devastating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. One more question before we get to the prospects. This is from Diamond Phantom. Diamond's a Panthers fan. Did the Panthers make a good hire at GM? This question was left on January 15th. When did they announce that Herney had been fired and they hired Scott Fitter? January 17th. How did they know? Did, so is it did they or do they? Or they reached an agree. Oh, no, that was January 14th. Pardon okay, me. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did this person have a... Foresight. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> ...have a scoop and I haven't been reading my reviews? Um, so this is, yeah, from Seattle. Um, I, you know, it's, look, it's always hard to tell with, um, front office hires, like who actually does what. And it's, it's actually kind of relevant. So Scott Fitter was the VP of football operations. And there has been a lot of debate in Seahawks Twitter, like how well managed the Seahawks roster, how good are their drafts been? And the truth is like kind of average over the years. Like if you really look over the sum of the last, since 2010, or, and, you know, really like having that that streak from Richard Sherman through the infamous 2012 draft, having some horrible drafts 2013 and kind of bouncing back a little bit and finding some gems here and there. It really kind of nets out to average in terms of like the Seahawks drafting record. And maybe a football operations entails more than that. Um, I don't know. From the outside, do you perceive Seattle to be a, a well-run football team from a roster perspective? Right. I perceive them to be in alignment in terms of what the coaching staff wants, offense and defense, and what the the front office prioritizes. And of course, Pete Carroll's a lot of sway over personnel decisions, and that uh, contributes to that. Uh, with that said, some of the approaches, some of the, the philosophical choices of Seattle over the past few years have not lent themselves to you know successful on-field performances. We're thinking about running the football. We're thinking about spot dropping cover three until we die, uh, which they've obviously grown in some of these ideas over the last couple of years. Uh, so I think that alignment is critical. And and we know that Fitterer is going to a place in Carolina where Matt Rule is going to have a lot of power. Uh, that's David Tepper has set up this team such that Rule, who had the philosophical disagreements with Marty Herney that led to Herney's firing, uh, Rule's going to have a lot of power. Fitterer will be familiar with that sort of an approach because of his time in Seattle. So I think it, it, it makes a lot of sense that way. You have to have a good coaching staff who understands what they want, what they need in their system for that to work. So a lot of it now is on rule, Phil Snow and Joe Brady to get it right. It really seems like they're wanting to move on from Teddy. right now. Like, yeah. Like they, that. they were in the Stafford, uh, bake off, mm-hmm. I think. Right. And then now of course these Watson rumors, I mean, there's, they should absolutely be pounding the door for Deshaun Watson. But, um, my question is like, okay, if they don't get Stafford, okay, obviously they didn't get Stafford and then Watson and then Prescott, it gets tricky because after that, is it really an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater? Like, is there a quarterback you see or or do you just draft? I think you just draft probably because the advantage of Teddy, who right now is due 23 million this year and is on a 20 million dead cap, if memory serves. uh, The advantage of Teddy is that you can start him for another year and feel fine with that and know that, that your offense will hum if, if everybody else is doing their jobs. You're gonna, you won't are gonna you will be putting your wide receivers in a position where they can't develop, putting their offensive line in a position where you, they can't develop as you bring Trey Lance along behind him. You know what I mean? I think at that point you draft. And then versus... Hey, it, yeah, I'm talking about a developmental sort of prospects. But if you've got... Teddy, you know, uh, you've got a better option than Teddy in the free agent market. David Tepper would swallow a $20 million dead cap hit without blinking. You know what I mean? He wouldn't care. If it's about upgrading the quarterback, he'd get aggressive in that way. So I think that he gives you the flexibility to go either direction. I would say draft. You know, Carolina was about average on offense and then 
I would say a little below average, actually a lot below average on the 24th interview I just pulled up. So, you know, they, they drafted, weren't they like the first team to go entirely defense in the draft? I, I think like it was the first time ever. Whatever, if it wasn't, it's nuts. It's uh, nuts. Yes. And it wasn't, they didn't even do that bad. You know, Derek no. Brown, Jeremy Chin, they were successful with those picks. It's interesting going back to this question about the, the new GM, but yeah, they, they, so th- this is a developing defense um, is a team that I think does not, have to contend next year to your point mm-hmm. um so that that perfect segue to talk about the quarterback so we're just segueing Lundgren, all over the place here, i love that. this is this is why i get paid the big bucks um yeah. for these segues so trevor lawrence is like just about the most boring uh thing to debate on my shows because there is no debate um let me phrase it this way what what is his flaw working too hard being too perfect right. Uh, it has been too easy. And that means when he encounters uh, resistance, there can be mistakes. And it is important to note, like, you know, uh, generational quarterback prospect, whatever. Uh, Lawrence, <laughs> Lawrence started the 2019 season and struggled. It was a sophomore year. And it was very much a traditional sophomore slump in the sense that he came in as a freshman, started, dominated, won a national championship. Disgusting, unbelievable film. And then in 2019, he came out and he was like, I'm going to throw every single first read all the time because nobody can stop me. And it turns out sometimes the defense wins. Uh, And he put some interceptable footballs out on the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, He held the ball for too long and took some bad sacks. That 2019 film after his second season and Justin Fields' first season at Ohio State, there was a very legitimate conversation as to Fields passing Lawrence over in terms of quality of play, which I was fully in on. I was like, Fields just flat out played better. We get to 2020, which then becomes Field's sophomore slump, and now you know Lawrence is back at the crown position. But that season revealed that Lawrence needed to become more mature as a passer, more mature as a thrower. In 2020, you see him do so. He's much more willing to move defenders with his eyes, be responsible, be meticulous. He's much more willing to take checkdowns and to get rid of the ball quickly. He's a more accomplished rhythm thrower and anticipation thrower. With all of that said, this offense in Clemson remains extremely RPO heavy, extremely leverage based. They throw bananas amounts of screens. They're constantly using misdirection. It's the sort of offense that if Lawrence were not crowned back in 2018 as the second coming of mm. John Elway, there would be legitimate questions about how good is he as a field processor. God God forbid Justin Fields is in this offense because if this is a black quarterback, then, then we saw what happened with Lamar Jackson and Bobby Petrino's offense. Like There, there would be massive questions about field processing those don't exist with lawrence because of the legend around him which is you know frustrating from an evaluation perspective but when he enters the league he's going to start getting pressured more and he has some bad habits when he gets pressured uh he's going to start having to make some more mature secondary tertiary reads which he doesn't have to do a lot in clemson and the ball is going to start coming out a little bit slower as he's in 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 a less rpo based offense there will be growing pains and that and he's shown already that he can get through those so i'm confident he does it again but still exists and his athleticism will sustain him through those. Right. Plays. At the same time, he can put a 40 yard ball through a trash can. It's like, what well, are we talking about? The, the arms insane, the touch, every level, whatever. But also the fact that like the, the dude is a brilliant runner as well. Like if he, what, you know, I mean, with rookie quarterbacks, we've seen like it, as they're adjusting to NFL defenses and NFL game speed, the, that ability to and Lawrence is very good at this, like create when the play breaks down, you know, like he's fast. <laughs> he's like a legitimately yep. fast human. Um, yep. And all of that is going to matter more in his rookie season than it will for the rest of his career. 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, like he has the arm and he's has the proven um, processing ability to where like you've seen enough to know, okay, like he can do that at the next level. But that rookie season, if he has to adjust the fact that he's such an incredible athlete um, will make it a lot easier for him. It is funny though. Like if you were an alien and you landed on earth and you only saw the sugar bowl, what would you think of Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields? Oh, wait, Justin Fields, Sugar Bowl is the highest graded game I've given out this year, I think. Uh, you so definitely think Fields is better. Why Why am I seeing Justin Fields now mocked third or fourth? I could not tell you. Oh, okay. it grinds my gears. Okay, let's I, talk about Justin Fields then. Let's yeah. get to Justin Fields. I don't really have much else to say about it. You know, I, I, one more thing about Lawrence that I thought was kind of funny. I was like looking. So the comp you hear over and over and over and over and over is Andrew Luck, right? Um, but I think it was... Daniel Jeremiah, who mentioned Deshaun Watson. And at first I was like, huh? And then I was like, well, yeah, Deshaun Watson, the pro. Like, yes, you know, like not Deshaun Watson, the prospect, but Deshaun Watson, like NFL Deshaun Watson. Actually, they have a ton in common, like the way they run, the playmaking, the arm. Like, I, I actually that makes a lot of sense to me because you think about because Deshaun Watson went to Clemson, you're thinking about them as college mm-hmm. players. And I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. And right. I was like, wait, actually, I kind of do see this as terms and- of like, as an not for nothing, right? But Tony Elliott was the OC. Uh, it was co-offensive coordinator when Deshaun was there. And guess what? There were questions about when Deshaun came out of Clemson, yeah. right? There was oh, he doesn't get beyond his first read. Uh, but I, I agree, right? Like he's Deshaun in terms of the accuracy, uh, the the height and the athletic ability is right now probably better than Deshaun was, which is nuts to say because Deshaun was such a good athlete coming out. But when right when you're looking for blend of unbelievably natural thrower plus probably could play wide receiver. It's very difficult to come up with comparisons uh, for, for what Lawrence currently is and can become. Lawrence doesn't really run. He lopes. He's a long strider. It's like yeah. he's a loper. Um, yep. It's it's really, I mean, shoot, honestly, all of the top four can run. I was going to ask, really when you cool. said, right, when you said Lawrence is such a good runner, I was going to ask, who do you think is the best runner, pure, like, ball in hand runner right now in this class out of the Tra- four Trey Lance. Lance. Tra- Lance. Yeah. Tra- Trey Lance. Yeah. Tra- I, I agree. Is, he is a freight train. Okay, we're going to get He's to him. Um, I was text or messaging you because I was watching the 2020 game. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, this guy smokes. <laughs> and we'll talk about that. But the one takeaway, the positive takeaway from that game is, holy smokes, this is like peak Cam Newton. Dude looks like 500 pounds heavier than everyone on the field and like also faster. And it's really funny. So anyways, we'll get to that. But Justin Fields, I want to talk about Justin Fields next. He is slipping down draft boards and you are frustrated about it. Talk about why you're frustrated about it. Certainly, yeah. So so uh, it's a very interesting, we talked about whence hypotheticals and things that actually happened and so we can't avoid them. But if Justin Fields were correctly made the starter at Georgia in 2018 over Jake Fromm, over Jake freaking Fromm, all right? Sure. And he, he got to be a freshman starter the same way that Lawrence did. I mean, Justin Fields has 21 career starts. Lawrence has 36 the, the, the difference in where these guys are is palpable. And, and, and a lot of it has to do with experience. So like Fields has every single throw in his quiver the same way that Trevor Lawrence does. But Fields doesn't yet have a complete understanding of how to modulate, of how to choose, okay, this time it's got to be touch. Okay, this time it's got to be a laser. Yeah. You know, we talk about layering throws versus throwing windows, throwing with anticipation versus throwing with, with timing and, and all this, these varieties of ways a quarterback can execute the job. 
Lawrence is so mature and Fields doesn't have that. And I strongly believe if we just got another season of Fields, mm. we would because you saw that growth, right? Uh, if, if you want to make a case against Justin Fields, you circle the Indiana game and you certainly circle the Northwestern game, a nationally okay. televised Big Ten championship game in which he was missing multiple offensive line starters and his top wide receiver. So the Northwestern game I watched closely and I, I, I was screaming at Ryan Day screaming they were begging them to run the football like to, mm-hmm. that's I, I realized Justin Fields made some really bad throws in that game early on but also like what a failure of game planning and adjustment and and Chris Olave like first of all I, I'm actually really surprised he's out of the draft but that's not what it I'm pissed me off too to be honest he's really good he's so good so good he would have been a so, first rounder anyways yeah I think that there's massive overreaction. And how many games did they play this year? Like five or six? Uh, seven like by, by seven? the end with Alabama. Oh, yeah. By the end, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean, come on. Like, that's a... If Zach Wilson played those defenses, like, I think this would be a very different conversation. Absolutely, right. Having. So, And I yeah, like so Zach North- Wilson. We'll talk about him in a second. Yeah, Northwestern's defense was great. They have no Alave, and they're worried about pass protection, and they... We're like, hey, we're going to become a quick game offense. We're just going to throw every West Coast concept we have in the book, which Justin Fields, for everything as a prospect, cannot be a primary quick game player. Zach Wilson can, Trey Lance can, Trevor Lawrence can. But when you watch Fields process in the pocket, both mentally and critically physically, he's he's is is intentional he's gradual he's a little bit slow you know you don't see him snap the hips fire the arm you know it's it's not like these urgent drop footwork he's very measured he's very meticulous and so a lot of times people say he doesn't process the field well really he just goes at a, at a steady pace he's very confident in his ability to make every throw and to survive pressure in the pocket and so he doesn't expedite his process for the sake of, of feeling flustered and the biggest problem in that northwestern game was they tried to make a quick game passer out of him it's not what he's going to do successfully northwestern started getting pressure on him and justin fields got caught up in you know a big play hunt which is is you know when we talk about justin fields comparisons there's carson wentzian traits in the in his game oh, that, yeah, that yeah. do give you pause and the, the issue there is fields is 6-3 230 and i mean like in that indiana game blitzing safety from depth eight yards of steam nobody blocks him he hits justin fields at full speed and bounces off him fields is a tank he, he's you, enormous you he talk about enormous. right you talk about newton with lance uh, justin fields is is baby newton a little bit i actually th- i think um yeah it's funny because we were talking i was like who's i talking to you about about this was it uh, no it's field yates and i were talking about like the um floor and the ceiling for quarterbacks and i was like i feel like with justin fields like it's like 2020 cam newton to 2015 Cam Newton, you know, like, and which is weird because I actually, Dak Prescott is more of the comp, but um, in terms of like his build and I actually, I also think by the way, Justin Fields will be more accurate than Cam Newton, but um, yes. and in a way that's more similar to Dak Prescott. But right. actually, what Fields has that Newton, Wentz, Prescott all never did is the deep ball, right? Like he can put and a the touch yards on the, the deep on ball. Spot. It's not just a howitzer. Like he has decent oh, yeah. touch on those balls. And um, if anything, actually, and I think the games you mentioned could be, I think of those games, I think Fields could have been used more as a runner at Ohio State. And so like when I think again, not too dissimilarly from Trevor Lawrence, when I think about his first year in the NFL, there's a floor there because of how freaking athletic he is Um, as they, you know, he sort of adjusts to the league in that offense. So I'm, I think he's really good. Our our friend Nate Tice 
said explained something because you know I'm watching him and I'm not like I'm like he he is holding on to it a long time you know it, <laughs> it is I can see why this is a concern but Nate um, made a very interesting point to me about the Ohio State offense which he was he explained that the wide receivers run a lot of choice routes. So they're taking a long time to get open and sort of the, it's the nature of the actual offense uh, that makes him hold on to the football longer. And so I do wonder going into the NFL, if in some ways the game might actually not, I wouldn't say it won't be easier for him. Absolutely not, but there might be Mm -hmm. some advantages. Well, one of the things that you, you ask yourself if you're evaluating and then considering drafting fields is, okay, he ran it this way in Ohio State. It's part of why his process can look uh, extended. Is he going to be able to speed it up? Because you'll also see from fields, uh, you know, what we call like guided throws, right? Where he's aiming it a little bit too much and he doesn't really generate any power from his hips, right? He's just rotating the body all as one and throwing it all with his arm. And he's got a great arm he's got a very strong arm people doubted this but it's because very often he's just kind of guiding it in there he doesn't like to throw laser beams he does like to throw with touch then you watch that clemson game where he knew that defense was fast and he knew he was gonna be throwing deep and he starts triggering on stuff and he starts snapping his hips and you see the ball flying off his hand sick all the big post to jameson williams in the fourth quarter made me want to die like it's just so stinking good and this gives you confidence he can speed up his approach will he ever be an rpo game player with his density, right? He's such a dense athlete. His feet aren't, aren't really rapid the way he's not springy like Zach Wilson. So will he ever be like an, a heavy RPO guy? Probably not, but absolutely. I mean, you saw what this offense became when they really unlocked Trey Sermon. Wide zone out of pistol yes. against Clemson, against Northwestern. You put this boy in a, in a wide zone offense in the NFL, and you start letting him 20-yard so, rollout crossing routes? Mother Mary. I oh. like I, – who's the Jets – Offensive coordinator. Uh, LaFleur, Mike. I think it's a great fit. Absolutely. I, I would love that for him. Obviously, they've got some rebuilding to do and they need to find more receivers, but whatever. Anyways, but pinning that, you, you mentioned Zach Wilson. So I, I I had not watched Zach Wilson. So I watched him over the weekend. He's fun as hell. Yeah, <laughs> That's he's my awesome. official scouting report. I did the Baby Yoda Wii. Like, and then people took that to me. And I was like saying the Baby Yoda was Zach Wilson. And some Utah fan was like, stop lying about Zach Wilson's height. But, um, He's definitely not a 6'3", by the way. But um, No chance. He, he's got one of the sickest arms. Uh, I mean, it's just freaking hilarious. Some of the throws are in just bonkers. And it's also, by the way, and so I'm not a college football. Like, I just kind of watch casually and I watch the big games during the season and then I get, like, desperately caught up. How come no one told me the BYU offense was fun as hell? Yeah, dude. So they, they, I was, they like, brought legitimately in. enjoying it. It's so weird because their OC is Jeff Grimes, uh, be- who was the – LSU offensive line coach in like 2016, sure. okay. right? Like, They're like an I formation. That's crazy. And then, right. And then their passing game coordinator is, uh, oh, who is it? I want to say it's it's Roderick, Aaron Roderick, who's been there for like 10 years. And all of a sudden they were just like, hey, you know what we're going to do? Uh, Mike Leach plus Kyle Shanahan. Anybody in? This is going to be fun. Because that's what it is. Is it, Our base offense is going to be, we're going to be wide zone. They had a great offensive line. They had two really good running back. 25, Algier is going to be an NFLer. We're going to oh, do this. Oh, I like him a lot. I was writing. Yeah. I, so then he's, yeah, he's what a sophomore or something. Cause I looked him up after the yeah. game. Cause I was like, Ooh, I like you, but he, yeah, he's, he's, fun. he's scary. Cause like at sometimes I was like, that's Nick Chubb. And then sometimes I was like, he's running a four, seven. This is terrible, but mm. <laughs> he's an NFL. He's awesome. He's got uh, great vision. Right. Wilson's then able to move outside of the pocket. His throw on the move is stupid. stupid. Like it's just not legal. His, he's got that three quarters release, uh, very Kyler Murray, very, uh, you know, Kurt Warnery, right. Where he, he, it's he a flicks whip. It. 
it's a whip and it's so quick and he doesn't throw with great anticipation, but we, we love to get obsessed with anticipation throws and scouting anticipation allows you to get the ball there on time before the defense can recover. Wilson doesn't throw with anticipation, but when you release is that fast and you have such speed on the ball, it doesn't really matter. Now it doesn't matter at the BYU level. Yeah. It doesn't matter okay. against Houston and UCF and, and Nevada. Is it going to matter in the league? And, and, and I think he's going to start to struggle with that. Uh, the other thing that really worries me about Wilson for the mobility, for the springiness, for the arm, all these things we've talked about, so much of that offense was, hey, if they're giving you one-on-one with Dax Milne, take it. Back shoulder, a deep ball. Wherever he leverages, you throw. They did the same thing with Gunnar Romney on the opposite side. They had two really good catch point receivers, and Wilson was on the same page with those guys a lot on isolated outside routes. That's not a, a super tenable – that's a, a very Ryan Fitzpatrick way of playing offense in the league, which is high floor – But there's a reason Fitzpatrick's been on 19 different teams. You know, that's not how you want things to be. And when Wilson's tasked with processing intermediate middle of the field, which we know can, you know, be a struggle for some of these shorter quarterbacks, which Wilson's not actually 6'3". How tall is he? Uh, You you see the process slow and you see some uncertainty. People love to talk about him in the Shanahan LaFleur offense. They love to pair him to the Jets for that reason, right? Because, okay, he ran wide zone. He ran, you know, uh, play action on the bootleg. He's so good on the move. The problem is so much of this offense was free access vertical routes on the backside. That is not Kyle Shanahan. That is not the way he runs offense. So they'd have to make a significant adjustment to let him do that. There's this like belief that Shanahan quarterbacks, all he do is boot. Because you always hear that. It's like right. no, actually, and, 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 it's right. really important so to use the middle about, of the field. Yeah, really, so much about like Garoppolo the- is, is, is good timing. It's good footwork. Yes. It's five-step drop, land on the hitch, you go. And Wilson, he just bounces around back there. He doesn't like to have timing in his feet. Bouncing is a great description. It's like a video game He's a game sprightly character. young fellow, yeah. Sprightly is a good adjective. My comp for him right now is Baylor Murfield um, because it's like if you took Baker and Kyler and kind of smoosh them together. Um, 100% thought you were I, making a pop culture reference I didn't know. And I was going to nope. be like, yeah, that's great. Just roll with it. Um, so I, okay. So I wanted to see, I, I asked people, I was like, what are the hardest defenses you played this year? So I watched the Coastal Carolina game, right? And I watched Houston. Um, and like, I don't, it's, 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 the arm is the arm. I will say, by the way, the thing that I didn't know about um, Wilson before this weekend, because I've only seen these like crazy highlights on Twitter, he's a really good runner. Like I, you know, he's not uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, and he's slight, and that is concerning. But and he's not as fast as Kyler Murray. But I actually think mm-hmm. he's faster than Baker. I think he's a better runner than Baker. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's gonna matter, uh, especially again to go back to the, the size and whatever the style of play. So I think that's gonna make a big difference. I feel like I'm a broken record, but his mobility will help him a lot that first year. But God, I don't. I think I saw him pressured like twice. I mean, or or rather, get a throw out under pressure. Like you just, it's so hard to know watching him like what am I what am I watching here because the arm is the arm and he's also an intelligent player too you can see him uh, manipulating defenders and, and looking off safeties and doing all the cool stuff you want college quarterbacks to do but again we saw Justin Fields go through a gauntlet like mm-hmm. I just don't know with Zach Wilson and so I can see how NFL teams are going to talk themselves into it and it's a very trades-driven league right now but I just don't know I, you know, it's just, it's just a question. And speaking of traits, we should talk about the traitsiest quarterback in the draft. Um, Is there? Trey Lance, human battering ram. Holy smokes. Um, I was just, okay. So 
like I said, I watched the uh, Central Arkansas game. And I am not giving my final Trey Lance take today because I have not watched nearly. I need to watch the 2019 season aside from the Washington game. Like I need, I need more. Mm-hmm. But he was really effing bad at that game. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't good. So I, was, so I was watching him, and I had just seen McShay's draft too, where he was like had him going over field. So I was like, all right, let's see. And then I was like, like a quarter, and I was like, what the hell? Am I being gaslit? Um, again, only game of the season. No, you know, every caveat, and I know in 2019 he didn't throw a single interception or whatever. I think what concerned me, though, about this game is like, okay, so I, I, I went into that game being like, okay, it's time to watch Josh Allen, too. Um, and, you know, he overthrows his first deep ball, and I'm like, whoa, that went really far. But then he was just, he was really inaccurate on the, sh- the intermediate stuff, and that was concerning to me. Again, I'm talking about one game. I'm really not trying, I'm trying not to be a jerk about this because I know I have a long way to go, but you've watched all of his games, so tell me why I'm wrong and set me straight on Trey Lance. Right, so so Trey Lance is, is inconsistent, and a large part of why he's inconsistent is because it, the film we have of him is as a uh, freshman 19-year-old, and critically, uh, up until this past, you know, abridged season and offseason, he had never had private quarterback coaching uh he's with quincy avery mm-hmm. now preparing for the draft and quincy's one of the best quarterbacks coaches in the business and quincy's very excited about what they're doing with lance because there's so much foundational stuff that he doesn't have and that's why you'll watch trey lance in the pocket on like a three-step drop on one snap take like a massive drop step and then pop up fully upright and then throw it from just like a flat platform and then on the very next three-step drop just rhythm it beautifully hitch and drive and you're like dude just do that Every time uh, he gives me extreme Colin Kaepernick at Nevada vibes because mm. Kaepernick was, yeah, it, it's like six four two twenty five, just super leggy runners can be physical, can out quick you very competitive guys with the ball in their hands that over the top release, right? Lance isn't a great rotational thrower, but he's got a really nice upper body. Once he gets beyond that circular load up, right? Where he dips that ball pretty far, but cap was doing that in Nevada, that over the top release, sometimes shaky accuracy, but you see the live arm. That inconsistency and just drop timing and footwork and just how he gets into his throwing motion. This is, I don't want to say it's easy to fix because nothing's easy to fix mm. when it's habituated, but he's got very little experience and, and, and it's, it's a fix that if you make him consistent, the accuracy is just going to level out. That's the expectation. That's how it typically goes. Uh, inexperienced, but not raw. That's what's most exciting about Trey Lance is that on his peak plays, you see him making pro decisions pro throws you see him taking pressure in the teeth and delivering accurate balls to his hot read you see him going through progressions he is not all traits he's definitely traits but then also there's some really really good plays i'm so glad you said that because i think something that's intrigued me the most about his 2019 tape i said washington i meant eastern washington um about 2019 is the fact that he didn't throw a single interception like that that is really intriguing to me you know, like when think because usually again when we think about like this raw quarterback with the cannon, we think, well, hey, he's gonna throw some picks. He's not that smart. He doesn't throw whatever. All that the usual stereotypes we associate with those kinds of quarterbacks. And the fact that he didn't throw a pick is like fascinating yeah. to me. There are like, two the things, of, even yeah, though he did he did in the twenty twenty game, and it was it was like a pretty usual college type pick, by the way, where um it was up the seam, and like I think he didn't just didn't see the linebacker or the safety, but. Yeah, I, that that is interesting. I find that very intriguing. Although he also didn't throw many footballs. He averaged fewer than like 20 attempts per game. Right, he was such a good runner. Right, there's two things about this class that's sick. One is that none of them have arm strength concerns, so we don't have to do the Joe Burrow thing because they all have just absolute hoses. Well, we Everybody haven't got, we're, sling it. Mac, we're still talking about Mac Jones. Oh, right, 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 right. <laughs> forgot about Mac. I always think of it as the big four. I love that you think of it as the big five. We're doing the first, dude, it's 2021. 
Mac Jones is going in the first round. Yeah. The sooner you accept it, the more you can, your brain can. But so even with Mac and the big five, the second thing is that all of these quarterbacks are risk averse. Uh, Wilson, sometimes maybe not a little bit. Uh, Fields, sometimes maybe not a little bit. But generally, all of these quarterbacks are really just astute decision makers. They don't put their offenses in that's jeopardy. And that's, that's really fun to watch because you don't have to go, oh, you moron when you're watching the film yes. right there's no nobody's out here just really shooting their own defense in the, or their own offense excuse me no that's play. such a great point um yeah actually how many what was josh allen's i'm trying to remember his college oh you haven't seen it year. on the timeline enough over the course of that entire draft season oh my god no i just was trying to remember how many picks he threw his final year at um mm. anyways uh, whatever if Trey gets drafted in the top eight, he Josh Allen gets 10% of his paycheck. I'm sorry. That's just how it, it has to be. Um, that's not going to be the last time I make that joke either. Um, and also, oh, God, I was like tweeting something about Trey Lance being raw, and like literally 20 people were like, yeah, but people said that about Josh Allen. I was like, oh, my God. This, yeah. this is like for the rest of time now. Every okay, time so what I'm hearing from you is you take, uh, you take Mac above Trey? I would not take Mac about <laughs> uh, Okay, let's talk about Mac. Look at you setting up these segues for me. Um, if it was 1999, Mac Jones would absolutely go in the top five, but it's not. Um, to me, Mac is... So, okay, Mac Jones, Alabama quarterback, for those who did not watch him, um, put together one of the most prolific seasons in college football history, comically, uh, statistically through the roof. Um, brilliant decision maker, good arm, accurate, um, cannot move. That's not fair. That's not fair. No, that you know what? That's not fair because he actually moves pretty well in the pocket. I think that's really important. Yeah, um, I, I, he's a he's clinic tape on pocket footwork, especially when he has to escape. He's he knows the only way I'm getting out of this is if every step is perfect, and he's um, really worked it. You know, throws with touch at every level. Um, arm is not super strong, but he had that quality not too dissimilar from Tua where you're watching him, you're watching Alabama, you're like, you're playing with the best wide receivers in the world. How much can I really learn? But then when you watch closely, you see, oh, he's leading those receivers open and he's actually, you know, placing the ball perfectly. So the question is, Arm, like he is the anti-traits quarterback, basically. Trey Lance is the traits guy. He is the anti-traits guy. It's 2021. Do you want that guy? I think if you have... A good offensive line, it's interesting. I also think, though, that your good offensive line is going to be less good at some point. So, um, And then also the way football has changed over the last two years, the things you can do with quarterback mobility, you're just you're hamstringing, you're not cutting your playbook in half, but you're taking away part of it. And, and also your ability to respond to what defenses do, because we are in an era now in football where, and this is around this conversation a lot, but where defenses are dictating to offenses now more. And it's challenging when you have a quarterback that it can't either move or compensate with arm strength. So take it away. Yeah. I know it, it's, the we're in an era of quarterbacking now is the critical point. We we we're saw in Tom, an era. Of yeah, we're in a society. We saw Tom Brady and we saw Peyton Manning and we saw the proliferation of the West Coast offense in the in the early two thousands. And then scouting departments were like, let's go find all of these guys all over again. And that's how you end up drafting Brady Quinn in the top ten. You're like every quarterback should just live in the pocket and just throw hitches and and sits and snag and spot and then we're just going to move the ball down the field that way and it turns out you have to be an absolute genius to do that consistently and it's very hard to find those players at the college level and identify them correctly if mac jones came out then like you said 
100%. As Mac Jones, man, first quarterback off the board. We've now moved to a point where it, the best quarterbacks create outside of structure. It is necessary in January that your quarterback creates outside of structure. If he is unable to do so, no amount of coaching and supporting cast can sustain your offense for long enough in this incredibly fast era of football. So Mac Jones is going to be so good at beating bad NFL defenses because he doesn't Ooh. make he doesn't make mistakes. Brutal. He doesn't make mistakes. He he facilitates. He has really good yak placement, right? We talk about general accuracy, just being able to throw a catchable football versus placement. He's going to put the ball in a spot where your guy can keep running. Uh, he's a very underrated deep ball thrower, has some of the best vertical touch in, in the game. So he's going to be able to stretch the field. He's going to be able to do all these things. And then you're going to play a team that can get pressure with four and can defend with seven. And all of a sudden, Mac has to be able to fill out those margins when he gets outside of the pocket. And there just isn't enough velocity on the arm to stretch the defense when when you cut the field in half. And there isn't enough quickness in the legs to make teams pay for, for playing man coverage and giving him space underneath. And so he is a low-ceiling quarterback. With that said, I can't sit here as an Eagles fan and pretend that Nick Foles didn't give me my first Super Bowl. So there's a way that a guy like this matters. Um, it just has to be perfect around him. During the national championship i said to dan we were doing the ceiling floor thing and i was like you know max jones i was like yeah i could see like a kurt Cousins ceiling and then i heard myself say that and like my heart fell right. into it's my socks and it's like it's, it's just brutal um yeah i don't know He's i just extremely likable mm, you just have to be realistic with your expectations it's it's just a I mean, again if he was behind a really like let's say he's in New Orleans, they're, they're picking 28th. God, he probably won't even last till 28th. Thanks draft. But if he was in New Orleans, I actually think like that's an interesting offense. Cause they off, cause Peyton's a genius. You got Camara, the offensive, you got Thomas and the offensive line is so good. Like, where, so where do you think he ends up? Win some games. You think he, if you think he's not making it to 28, who's, who's pulling the trigger? Is this I Indy? Think, I, don't, I don't think he gets past Indy at 21. I think he's drafted oh. earlier. This is again, yeah. we live in a society. <laughs> I've seen uh I've seen Mox set him to New England at 15, which would just be a death knell for this That's, poor young man. Oh my god. There's no one there. He can't. Oh my god. Do Imagine that, going guys. from Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle to whatever is we uh, we're not slandering Jacoby Myers right now. I won't stand for that. I, but otherwise, yeah. It's a tough scene. Um yeah. no, not Jacoby Myers, who's on my dynasty team. And now it's time for Dinks and Dunks. I'm getting paid for this, right? Finally, as always, we're going to wrap up with Dinks and Dunks, which is presented by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. Download the DraftKings app today and use code MINA to get in on all of the action. So, Ben, normally uh, I, I ask my guests now five questions for, for me, one from Lenny. But instead, you revealed your age to me, mistake Number one, I asked you straight up, which may be like a human resources violation, except we don't work together, so it's okay. I actually guessed your age. You asked me to guess it, and I almost nailed it. So props to me. But w what year were you born? 97. Okay. I'm going to need a second again. Yeah, everybody hates it. Trey Lance was born in 2000, man. Two. That's insane. Um, so I'm just going to ask you if you like very basic questions and see, and don't use the internet. And you oh, have to all right. tell me if you can answer them. Are you ready? Yeah, my mom's going to be pissed at me after this, but that's all right. God. Are you insinuating I'm married? <laughs> all right. Ready? Okay. All right. Who was the host of TRL? Uh, that's not... Um, oh. Drew Carey. Do you know what TRL is? No idea. This is not going to go well. 
Okay, no, no. Okay, I'm gonna go easier. Who's Steve Urkel? Uh, it was uh, it was a, a young man. He was on a TV show. He was a nerd. He wore glasses. Everything okay, was unfortunate you, for him. Yeah. Do you know what show it was on? I thought the show was called Steve Urkel. Oh or, my god! The Steve Urkel show. Oh no! Okay, okay. Have you ever owned a CD? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, like probably kids bop, right? Oh my god! See now, I yeah. feel like you're playing it up because okay. No, 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 no. Okay. This is 100% real. Have you ever rented a video from Blockbuster? Yeah. Uh, I stole Ocean's Eleven from Blockbuster. Everybody stole something from Blockbuster, right? Because you just okay. went to Blockbuster and rented something Who? and then okay, Blockbuster fin- closed. Fi- finish this phrase. Mambo number... Five. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. That's weird that you know that, not the other ones, but that's fine. That's um, marching band, I think. We played that one year. Um... What was Joey Gladstone's catchphrase? My last name is Gladstone. I'm a happy rock. Who is Joey Gladstone? Mm. Saved by the bell. Let me rephrase yeah? that. Who? What was Uncle Joey's catchphrase? I got nothing for you, Mina. Oh, my God. Okay. We're going to power through this. Who won the first season of American Idol? Mm. Carrie Underwood. No, no, no. Uh, no, Kelly Clarkson, Kelly Clarkson. Oh, no, my mom's gonna be really pissed now. Okay. I've been dragged to Kelly Clarkson concerts. I should have known that one. That's disappointing. Chris, Chris Darty won another one. Oh, my God. Okay. What, what was Ricky Martin's mega hit? All these music ones are really just not. Okay. The first word is living. Lippin'? Living, like living, living. Living. La. La Vida Loca. Yeah. There we go. Who was the love of Doug Funny's life? Doug Funny? None of these names are real. You don't know who Doug Funny... Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Uh, Okay, one more. One more from me. We'll get to Lenny in a second. Have you ever been to a Borders books? Yeah, I love Borders. Absolutely. They had good coffee. I was a big book nerd growing up. So our Borders got closed and where I grew up, which really sucked. But then it just became a Barnes & Noble, which was really redundant. But yeah. I remember Borders. Do you know who Arl Stein is? Uh, Goosebumps? Okay, we're back. We're back. Final question, yeah. as always, comes from Lenny. Um, Lenny wants to know how you feel about the fact that he's been professional and in the industry longer than you. Uh, it would No, I mean, he's a, he's a veteran presence in the field that I look up to. I've learned a lot reading Lenny's work, uh, following his podcast. I, I really I, I appreciate Lenny having me on, mostly. Uh, he's, he's been an idol of mine for a while. <laughs> 